Hey friends, Emma here. I've been out sick over the last few days, though I am doing much better. But in my absence, good friends of the podcast, Nathan Wagnon and Hannah Stobbs, jumped in. That said, throughout the next few days, you'll get to hear snippets of their conversations and I'll add some of my own commentary. Today's episode in particular will be a bit longer, but I think it's going to be worth it. As we continue our study of Song of Solomon, I wanted to give you a heads up that the content is, in nature, very adult. That said, if you're listening with children or minors around or nearby, we'd recommend you listen by yourself first before listening with kids. And before we cut to Nathan and Hannah's conversation, here are a couple things to reflect on and consider. Number one, sexual desire is not innately wrong. We are designed by God as sexual beings. Number two, in the last episode, we talked a lot about the woman's dream. But in today's episode, Nathan and Hannah are going to start our conversation rewinding a little bit back in chapter three, verse six, the wedding day. All right now, if we're honest, reading the Bible consistently can be a challenge, but it's never too late to start, and we're in this together. This is the Join the Journey podcast. Thanks for joining. Hannah Stobbs here with the Watermark Institute, and I'm back in the podcast studio walking through the book of Song of Solomon, and thank goodness we're back in the podcast studio with Nathan Wagnon. What up? We're in chapter three, kind of going in a little bit into four and five, and so, Nathan, as we're kind of diving into the story that we're going on here with the man and the woman and the yeah, friends yeah. is only escalating as the book continues. Yeah, so for sure. where are we picking up in a little bit of three kind of going into four? Where yeah, we're picking up in three, six now because it shifts away from her looking frantically for him. Yeah. She finds him and then brings and then kind of pulls him to her mom's house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, dude. Not um, something I would want to do. But, yeah. yeah, but whatever. Uh, but then, But then it shifts to... This uh, almost like, not almost, it's a procession. Yeah. And she is looking with anticipation to go, what, like, I mean, 3-6 says, what is that coming up from the wilderness like columns of smoke, Hmm. right? Um, Perfumed with myrrh and frankincense, all the powders of a merchant. Um, It's the litter of Solomon, right? Hmm. So now there's this like splendor and grandeur. Um, around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel, yeah. um, all of them wearing swords. Like there's this, um, there's this really powerful procession that is clothed in all of its splendor. And then people are implored like, hey, go, go out and, and check this out. Yeah. Um, and he is presented as, as a king. So the rest of chapter three is really a, an exaltation of the man in the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a. Uh, it's almost like the girl um, or the young the young woman is enthralled with him. Yeah, she goes l- searching for him, finds him, right? Yeah. But then there there is this shift to almost a um, almost like a wedding procession or something like that. Where, yeah. Where he is, um, she's she's elevating him again. Nathan and Hannah are on to something. We've got this description of Solomon. It's the wedding day, but we're, we're reading about the guy. And Ben Stewart, he made an interesting observation regarding Solomon here in this section. He said, David had his mighty men, 30 of them, David, 30 chiefs, as they're called in 1 Chronicles eleven fifteen. But Song of Solomon, chapter 3, verse 7 reads, Behold, it is the litter of Solomon. Around it are 60 mighty men, some of the mighty men of Israel. Twice as many mighty men. 
And, and really in this section, we're just getting these descriptions of the things or really the men who come along with Solomon. What's the point? Well, Stuart concludes that when with this man, the woman feels safe. This isn't a power or a strength he's yielding over her, but one that shows he most certainly, most certainly can provide for her and protect her, which in this society was critical to her ability to flourish. In our society, the value on the physical strength of a man is not necessarily as emphasized. Guys definitely aren't picking up their spears at a moment's notice to run into battle. Battle, that's not really a thing, at least not here in the States. But a woman could still, unfortunately, run into an individual who's stronger than her late at night in the Target parking lot. There's a reality that men can, can be, and most often are, stronger than women. But this strength isn't bad. It's actually a God-given great thing, and it should be yielded appropriately. Stewart concludes, as do many commentators, that this passage of Scripture at the end of chapter 3 is actually celebrating the strength of a man being yielded to provide safety and security for a woman in a way that leads to her flourishing. She doesn't feel suffocated or suppressed. She's able to flourish. It's a beautiful picture of the strength of a man on display. And there are even different types of strengths. Sure, when we, when we start thinking about the applications, it could be physical, but it could also be the strength of leadership, financial strength, emotional resilience. Ecclesiastes 7.19 says, Wisdom gives strength to a wise man. But all of this, it, it raises a, one question, I think, for the men. How are you yielding your strength? And for the women, I think it raises a couple of questions. Number one, are you willing to let your husband or a brother in Christ, maybe in a platonic way, serve you by exercising their strength? This could be as, as simple as being willing to let them walk you to your car late at night or get a door for you. Or is there something in you that's really resistant to being served by someone who's a male? Or Ladies, are there men in your life who are doing a great job yielding their God-given strength? Maybe your husband or your son, your brother. How could you encourage them today? And lastly, might you be one of those who are afraid of the strength of men? Maybe because of something that happened in your past. Maybe, unfortunately, a man has yielded his strength over you. And if that's you, I am so sorry that that happened to you. God sees you, and he hates it. We'll link some resources for you in the episode description. And if there's any way we can help, shoot us an email at jointhejourney@watermark.org. Let's get back to Nathan and Hannah's conversation. So then in chapter 4, he starts going through um, all of these pretty standard ancient Near Eastern love poem yeah. compliments. Yeah. Right? Where he's talking about our eyes being doves and your hair is like a flock of goats. What do we make of those? Because I don't, I don't know. Again, as yeah. a, a single person, I yeah, don't yeah. want a guy telling me my hair looks like a flock of goats. Yeah, yeah, you know? totally. Except, except, stand by. If you're in the hill country of Judea, and a flock of sheep who are the backbone of your economy, right, go down to a watering hole, and they get cleaned, hmm. and then they get like com- like bleached clean. Yeah. Right. And then they're coming, sheep are coming up like this and they're brilliant white. Beautiful. Yeah. Then you're like, hey, you know what, Hannah? Or X, Y, whoever this is. Yeah. Your teeth are like that flock of sheep. (laughs) Right. Right. And when you're looking at the sheep, I mean, you immediately turn and go, thank you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That's great. (laughs) Which is interesting because it's it's like, uh, 
uh, verse two, your teeth are like a flock of shorn ewes that have come up from the washing. Um, all of them have their twin and not one of them has lost. Yep. So like she has all, all of her, her teeth. Thank goodness. It's like, <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Yep. Um, <laughs> or great. a flock of goats that are leaping down the slopes of, of Gilead. There's yep. a vibrancy about yep. that. It's like, great. It's so great. if somebody comes and goes, hey, Hannah, your hair looks really alive today. Right. Like it's just, oh, thanks, it's just, you know? man, yeah. it's alive. For sure. Then for you're sure. like, oh, thanks. Yeah, you know? for sure. Not like, hey, you got some goat in your hair. Right, you know? right, that, right, right. I mean, again, again, we're reading it through Western lens. It's the context. Um, but of, yeah, I mean, it goes great. through all of that stuff. So, you know. Your cheeks are like pomegranates. Sure. Your your neck is like the Tower of David. Thank it's goodness. like, what the <laughs> heck? Right. Well, what, what that means is, he says, your neck attracts men as the Tower of David attracts warriors. A thousand heroic soldiers would swear allegiance to your beauty. Hmm. It's like, okay. That's like, a compliment you want to hear. That's a compliment that you want to hear. Absolutely. That's what it means for your neck to be like the Tower of David. Let's stop right there. Chapter 4 picks up, and their wedding night is just beginning. The man says, behold, you're beautiful, my love. Behold, you're beautiful. He's like, whoa. It's like Adam back at the beginning of the garden. Whoa. And then he starts with her eyes. Your eyes are doves behind your veil. Then her hair. Then her lips. Her cheeks. We're only on verse 4. Her neck. And he works his way down. He's complimenting her. And it's also worth noting he won't touch her until verse 11. Stuart observes. She has dignity and value. He talks to her. Sex is physical, but it is also emotional. We aren't built to create a violent divide between our physical and emotional lives. Chapter 4 is a beautiful picture of a couple not just meeting physically, but meeting emotionally. He tells her what he sees, and he tells her how he feels. Stuart puts it like this. Oftentimes, when guys first fall in love with a girl, we get good at being poets. He's a man speaking. When guys first fall in love with a girl, we get good at being poets. But sometimes, as soon as we woo her and we win her and we get married, we just become roommates. Suddenly, we're just concerned with our career and we forget cultivating intimacy and romance. Romance. Then years later, when the divorce papers come, we say we fell out of love. Stuart continues, but, but love, it, it isn't something you fall out of in the same way a fire doesn't fall out of fire. Fire burns out when you fail to kindle it to keep the flames fresh. Love is the same way. And the way you kindle the affections of a dynamic sexual life and marriage is emotionally. That's the conclusion he draws. I'm not married, but I, I, I would imagine if I was married, that would be a great reminder. I think it is a great reminder. And we'll link that sermon from Ben again in the episode description. But back to Nathan and Hannah jumping into this couple's wedding night. So there's all of these like compliments that totally would have made sense yes. in their context. For sure. Um, and then, of course, uh, it ends, uh, it, that section ends in verse 9 where he's just like, hey, I'm like, I'm captivated. Yeah. Like, uh, you have my full attention. <laughs> yeah, my undivided attention. <laughs> you have my undivided attention. It's great. Um, now they keep going, and then you you begin to get um, in verse twelve this imagery of a garden, hmm. and and uh, and he he basically is imploring her like, hey, open up your garden. Um, your garden's locked, um, and I'm I want to come in and and hang out in your garden. And that's why um, she, he, he implores her, you know, hey, yeah, open the door, yeah, unlock it, and she says um, in verse sixteen, I, um, yeah, I'm down. Yep. So, 
let my beloved come to his garden and eat of its choicest fruit. And that's how chapter four ends. Now, the beginning of chapter five, all the way to through verse five, this is by far the most erotic part of, uh, of the, the entire book. So he goes, hey, she, she says, yes, my, I have taken the lock off. The door is open. Come into the garden. Yeah. And he says, so I came to my garden, my sister, and my bride. I, ga- I gathered all of the, the myrrh with my spice and I ate the honeycomb with my honey. I drank my wine with my milk. I mean, there, what you're getting is just this like he has an appetite for this type of thing for sex and he's getting it. All of his desires are being fulfilled yeah. by her. Yeah. And uh, and then what's so fascinating is in verse one of chapter five is other people hmm. chime in and go, that's good. Yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. Eat, friends, drink. Yeah. Get drunk with love. Um, and so you have this, I think, stepping back. There is a sense from the community that's seeing this act between two consenting adults like this, and they're going, hey, there is something really beautiful about this. So the community is totally like affirming this. And you see, again, this, this young woman who is, is going, hey, I, I slept by my, <laughs> my heart was awake. In other words, like my, as much as he is yearning for me, I am yearning for him. Yep. Mutual. It's totally mutual. Yeah. Um, and so there is, um, again, very, very strong expression of sexual love between two consenting adults who have powerful desires for one another. Yeah. And uh, and that is, you know, when it comes to this book, that is what's being expressed. Now, clearly, as we continue, it's nuanced. Yeah. And so I, we, I would just tell the audience, hey, I mean, <laughs> wait, wait till the next episode. But for now, that's that's three six to uh, to five five for sure. Awesome, and thank you for breaking that down and helping. Us Absolutely. With that. So, and as always, I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Hey, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the episode. Did you know that you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? And if you're willing, we'd love it if you subscribe, because the more you download, the easier it will be for new friends to find the podcast.